BAM Radio Network. Give our listeners some specific examples of how to make social studies geography exciting for students. Because some students can see that as a not exciting area, like me. But you know what? I got through all of my teaching. They don't remember anything, but I got through it. Welcome to Hooked. I am your host, Jed Derryberry. And I'm Matt Miller. We're excited to bring you a show that's going to get you extremely excited about engaging your students and have some fun along the way. Folks, we've got an excellent show for you today, and we're going to be talking about something that just absolutely fascinates me. We've got Lavana Roth, and she is an expert in brain research, and this just seems like a huge game changer in a lot of classrooms. And so, Lavana, I was wondering if you could start off with just maybe telling us a couple of little things about brain research that you think teachers maybe might not know about that could that could make uh, big changes in their classroom just like immediately. One of the things that I love to share the most and what captured my attention was there were a lot of things in the classroom that I knew I did well, but I didn't understand why. And then oftentimes as a teacher, I also heard all about the best practices, best practices, but again, never truly understood why. And it wasn't until I went to a neuroscience conference and started attending neuroscience events that I began to think, why don't teachers know this? And so For example, I often talk, you know, we hear about synapse and so the firing between one neuron to another neuron, and that's how that connection is made. And in the neuroscience world, there's a saying that, you know, neurons that fire together wire together, meaning the more they connect and fire, the stronger they become. And when I started looking at this more closely, an aha went off in my head, then they're thinking, wait a minute, then the way that I've done homework and I see other teachers do, do homework is not necessarily the best practices. So I'll put that a little bit into context for you. So, for example, oftentimes a math is an easier one to give. You know, we would do about 25, 30 math problems because what do they need is practice. Even if it's, you know, going through linking verbs, whatever it may be, but we know they need practice. So we send them home with all of these problems. And so what they're doing is they're firing those neurons and they're making this connection. And then what I found with my students is they would come back and I'd throw up my answers and discover that most of my students missed almost every single problem. And at the time, I just thought, okay, I'm going to have to redo this, reteach this. But now I'm looking closer at that. Neurons that fire together, wire together means when they were home doing it wrong, they're reinforcing that same connection, wrong, wrong, wrong. So not only did I have to reteach it, but I had to undo that more solid learning as opposed to sending five or six problems home and even differentiating those, and when they came back, I could see exactly where the gaps were, but also then the difference with them not having learned it incorrectly. And then once they're ready, now I need to give them more problems because they understand it. I want repetition to lock that in. Lavana, what um, you made a comment. You said, why is best practice best practice? And I think that's such a great thought for our listeners to take away from tonight. But what are some things that you did in your classroom specifically that were best practices for firing those neurons and and getting people excited about the learning that you were doing in your classroom? Well, movement is a huge thing for me. Again, I didn't always understand why it worked in the classroom, but so, for example, uh, a lot of times we took vocabulary words and we did gestures or acted out with it. And so students are now making a more solid connection to it. So if you think of a vocabulary word, and oftentimes we say, okay, copy the definition down. That is actually one of the least effective ways to learn a word. So instead, if students can take, like, even if it's an abstract word, but put it into gesture format, which is a concrete format, now they've taken, and you can watch and see, are they truly making the connection and understanding, or are they even misconceptions there? Because they can explain that to you as well. So we often did that. Um, we also did a lot of hands-on work in the classroom. And again, I saw the engagement increase, the level of fun, the learning. Uh, one of my most favorite 
that I'll share with you was when I was teaching fifth grade geography, I was brand new to the school and I was put in a portable. So since we were learning one of the hemispheres, I said, okay, we're going on a cruise ship. And so the portable became our cruise ship. We had a bon voyage party. And just, again, getting the kids excited and ready for the fun of the learning. And then what they had to do is the whole time we were studying the hemispheres, they had to keep a portfolio and, like, scrapbook as if they had literally traveled there. So putting themselves into that learning, putting themselves as if they were there and making something that's so abstract to where they've never been more relevant. You said the magic word that hooks me in, and you said geography. I'm such a geography, a geography nerd, if you will. And I see on your bio that you've won several awards for um, your social studies teaching. Give our listeners some specific examples of how to make social studies geography exciting for students. Because some students can see that as a not exciting area, like me. To be honest, that's one of the reasons why I love teaching social studies. Because when I was in going through school, one of the things I noticed is I hated social studies. And why? Because we did what was traditionally known. You read the chapter, you answer the questions at the end. You read the chapter, you answer the questions at the end. Exactly. And I told myself, I want to shake that up and change that and make it so much more different and inviting for kids. And so whether, you know, you take a picture, a historical picture, put it up on a slideshow and have the kids go into the pictures if they were there, whether it's a person, whether it's an object, and they become that. And so you can even interview them and allow them to take a, you know, a moment to show what their learning is. And either I would interview them or the students would interview them. There were kids you know, who could memorize very quickly and learn, for example, where countries were. So when you mentioned you know, the ge- geography side, when we were doing the Middle East, I know that how I tend to learn and think, and I sh- would share this with students. And I would have about five students that they look at me like, what is she talking about? Right. <laughs> but then the other kids are like, oh, I get it, I get it. Because, so I would take, for example, Iran, Iraq. So we'd start with the east and, and move westward, and we go Iran to Iraq to get cereal from Turkey. So it goes geographically in the order of Iran, Iraq, Syria, um, move up north to Turkey. So Little things like that, little tricks to get them to learn. Because, again, it's so abstract to them, it didn't mean anything to them. So coming up with little memory tricks really helps to make it fun, too. I think you just taught me some geography that I never learned as a kid. I came across a song that had the 15 countries of the Middle East and three major religions and the continent in which they were a part of. And I taught this song, oh, let me think. It was probably been about nine years ago. And a year ago, I ran into a former student of mine. And she said, oh, my goodness, Miss Roth, how are you? I'm like, I'm great, I'm great. And the first thing she said to me, I still remember that song. And I looked at her and I said, what song? And she said, you know, the ones with the countries of the Middle East. I said, there's no way. I can totally back that up because you're talking to the two guys who can totally sympathize with you here. I do countries and capitals of Spanish-speaking countries and currencies of uh, Spanish-speaking countries with songs. And I seriously have kids that come up to me all the time. And, I mean, Jed is like a a classroom composer. Jed, can you give us a couple of bars of the Blubber song? Since we're talking about geography, I wrote a song about the seven continents to the tune of It's a Small World. And it just says, um, there is North and South America. Then there's Europe, Asia, and Africa. And it goes through all of them. You can list it on YouTube. But, Lavana, man, you have excited me about geography all over again. So... Tell us a little bit more about just the brain breaks that you do when, when you were in the classroom and give our listeners some suggestions of how they could integrate those into their classroom. Something really easy to do, and I know teachers are so overwhelmed right now, and rightfully so. They have so many more demands than they've ever had. And one of the things that can go to the wayside are the brain breaks, and the brain breaks are crucial for learning. It just gives that a chance to either shift gears 
or to have a down moment, you know, the more you're concentrating, the harder that that becomes over time. So taking a quick little brain break. And I often tell teachers, you know, don't worry about when the brain break is as far as like age. You hear that a lot when they're seven, every seven minutes. That's not actually accurate. What is accurate though for me is I watched body language and I watch posture and I watch where they're slowing down on me or I see a shift in their thinking or lack thereof. And so quick little things is have them stand up. Um, I have a book, a Brain Breaks book, and in there is one of them called The Crazy Eight. And so they put up their finger and they draw an eight in the air. And I don't show them how to do it. I just say draw an eight and so they get really comfortable. And then they put that arm down and they raise the foot, the same side, and they circle it clockwise. So now I say, okay, put that down. I'll put both fingers or put the finger and the foot up in the air and do the crazy eight. So in other words, you're going to do both at the same time. And it's next to impossible. So it's awesome to watch participants, students, anybody involved in this laugh and crack up. Another favorite of mine is putting up a picture. And so, for example, you could have a rowboat. And then you tell the kids that they're in the rowboat. And let's get the rowboat going. Oh, I can never tell you we're in a race. And so now they're rowing really, really fast. And then I switch the slide. And now I tell them, oh, man, the boat, it just sank. Now we have to swim across the lake. And it's a picture of a huge lake. And so they're swimming, and I go backstroke, and we do the breaststroke, and we do, you know, everything. And then once we get through a little bit of that, I put up another one where they climb the wall. And so they're pretending to do some wall climbing, and then the last picture will be, for example, skydiving. So they reach all the way to the top, ooh, success, relax, float down toward the earth. And it's just it's really great to watch the breath um, of what happens with the oxygen going to the brain, the excitement, the level, and they feel so much better when they sit down. And so even though I know there's so many demands and we think, ah, oh, with everything I have to teach, I don't have time to do this, my response is that double negative, you don't have time to not do it. So getting kids up and getting them moving and rejuvenating them will actually buy attention longer than if we sat there and at the end of the day said, but you know what? I got through all of my teaching. They don't remember anything, but I got through it. Absolutely. Right as we're, as we're closing up here, I have to tell you that in my classroom, we're right next to an exterior door. And every once in a while, I give them two minutes of fresh air and sunshine. And they go outside and my high school kids will run around. They'll throw a ball. They'll lay on the grass and they'll come back in and they'll be entirely more focused than they ever would have been otherwise. So you're absolutely right. That stuff does work. So as we wrap up here, Lavana, I know our listeners are going to want to get in contact with you, what, what's, what's the best way? The best way would probably be through my website. It's probably www.mindsthatmatterinc.com. So mindsthatmatterinc.com. Or I can be emailed at Lavana, L-A-V-O-N-N-A. I always have to spell my first name. <laughs> Lavana at mindsthatmatterinc.com. And then again, just visiting the website or even Googling me, you'll come across it. That's great. There's been so many nuggets of wisdom in this, and we so appreciate you having coming on the show and, and sharing them with us. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Lavana. You've been listening to Hooked. I'm Matt Miller. And I'm Jed Derryberry. Thanks for listening. Now get out there and hook them. Y'all come back now. You hear? This program is produced by Accretive Media for the BAM Radio Network. Thanks for listening.